Greetings from Ondai, France. This is Curtis DeBerg bringing you the second podcast describing Ernest Hemingway's second trip to Ondai in September of 1927. In the first broadcast, I described what Ernest was doing and what he was thinking back in the summer of 1925 when he was in the middle of writing The Sun Also Rises. Well, roll the clock forward a couple years, and here we are now in early September 1929, and Ernest is back in Andai for a two-week two week vacation with Pauline. He had married Pauline Pfeiffer just five months earlier, back in May of 1927, and he hadn't been communicating with his parents at all about this, and his parents knew something was up. And so while in Andai, Ernest penned a six-page letter to his father, Ed, the, uh, the physician back in Oak Park. And I'm going to read from that letter in just a moment. Uh, but before I do, let me tell you how this podcast will be. I will tell you what Ernest was thinking and feeling back in September of 1929 by capturing his own words and his own thoughts about what he's doing and and how life is treating him. And then I'm gonna read from my own book called Hemingway, New Perspectives, New Inspiration, which should be coming out sometime in the summer or fall of 2022. And I will be reading from the prologue of that book today. And in future podcasts, I'll be reading small excerpts from, uh, uh, from chapters in that book. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn on Kenny Chesney's song called Hemingway's Whiskey, which is a really nice background for what we're doing with these broadcasts. So here we go. Let's see if you can hear that. And Kenny Chesney is one of my favorite country artists, and he actually recorded this in the year 2010 as a tribute to his grandfather. So let's go to Ernest's letter to his father, Dr. Ed Hemingway, back on September 9 of 2000, or actually in 1927. And I'm going to turn the music volume down just a little. Hopefully that's a little better. So here, it's to Clarence Hemingway. Clarence also went by the nickname of Ed. And Ernest wrote this very lengthy letter from September 9 through the 14th. And it's a long, long letter. And he wrote it from the Hotel Baron here on Andai Plage. And Plage means beach. And uh, it says, Dear Dad, thanks very much for your letter and for forwarding the letter to Uncle Tylee. You cannot know how badly I feel about having caused you and mother so much shame and suffering. But I could not write you about all of my and Hadley's troubles even if it were the thing to do. I love Hadley and I love Bumby. Hadley and I split up. I did not desert her, nor was I committing adultery with anyone. I was living in the apartment with Bumby, looking after him while Hadley was away on a trip. And it was when she came back from this trip that she decided she wanted the definite divorce. We arranged everything, and there was no scandal and no disgrace. Our trouble had been going on for a long time. It was entirely my fault 
and it is no one's business. I have nothing but love and admiration and respect for Hadley. And while we are busted up, I have not in any way lost respect for her. Or rather, I have not in any way lost Bumpy. Okay, let me stop there a moment, guys. You know, to be fair to uh, Hadley, Ernest is telling a little lie here because he indeed had had an affair with Pauline and it was an illicit affair. And Pauline really somewhat covertly and surreptitiously uh, kind of stole Ernest from Hadley because Hadley knew nothing about the affair until Hadley and her sister, or, uh, until Pauline and her sister Jenny took a road trip to the beautiful Loire region uh, in an uh, area a couple hours south of Paris. And Jenny let it slip, either intentionally or non-intentionally, that her sister Pauline was having an affair with Ernest. And Hadley was crestfallen. And that summer, on their way back from uh, a trip to the French Riviera with Sarah and Gerald Murphy hosting them, um, that actually in the summer of 1926, uh, Ernest was torn between two loves, and ultimately he chose Pauline. So that's a very interesting uh, bit of uh, Hemingway history. Um, Ernest continued in this letter um, to his father. He says, you are fortunate enough to have only been in love with one woman in your life. For over a year, I had been in love with two people and had been absolutely faithful to Hadley. When Hadley decided that we had better get a divorce, the girl with whom I was in love with was in America. Let's stop there and we'll analyze that a little bit. Um, he's kind of dumping on Hadley here because he said um, he had been absolutely faithful to her and it's when Hadley decided that we had better get a divorce. Well, Ernest was desperately in love with Pauline and he wanted to marry her. So he couldn't marry Pauline without having uh, his marriage to Hadley annulled because most of us know that Pauline was a devout Catholic and for her to marry Ernest, Ernest needed to become a Catholic. So again, Ernest is not coming clean with his parents, but at least he's finally communicating with them about the fact that uh, He's now married to a new woman and that the mother of his son is uh, no longer officially married to him. The letter continues and I'll read just a couple more paragraphs. He says, I have seen, suffered, and been through enough so that I do not wish anyone in hell. It is because I do not want you to suffer with ideas of shame and disgrace that I now write all this. We have not seen much of each other for a long time. And in the meantime, our lives have been going on and there has been a year of tragedy in mine. And I know you can appreciate how difficult and almost impossible it is for me to write about this. After we were divorced, if Hadley would have wanted me, I would have gone back to her. She said that things were better as they were and that we were both better off. I will never stop loving Hadley nor Bumby, nor will I cease to look after them. I will never stop loving Pauline Pfeiffer, 
to whom I'm at, to whom I am married. I have now responsibility toward three people instead of one. Side note, he means Bumby, uh, Hadley, and Pauline. Please understand this and know that it doesn't make it easier to write about it. I do understand how hard it is for you to have to make explanations and answer questions and not hear from me. I'm a rotten correspondent and it is almost impossible for me to write about my private affairs. Without seeking it, through the success of my books, all the profits of which I have turned over to Hadley, both in America, England, Germany, and the Scandinavian countries, because of all this, there's a great deal of talk. I pay no attention to any of it, and, no, and neither must you. I have had come back to me stories people have told about me of every fantastic and scandalous sort, all without foundation. Okay, well, that's all that I'll read from Ernest's letter to uh, his father in September of 1927. But uh, we can see here that Ernest isn't taking all the fault for this. He's kind of laying a little bit of it at Hadley's feet. And he says that if she would have taken him back, he would have gone back to her. Well, there's no doubt that Ernest was having misgivings and second thoughts about uh, his relationship with Pauline. But... Ultimately, he went where his, I can't want to say where his heart was, he went where his head was, and I can't exactly be sure which head he was thinking with, but he ultimately married Pauline in May of 1929 and is now writing about this to his parents. So with that, I'm going to skip over to uh, one last passage I see here that I wanted to tell you. Um, he says to his father, I know that I am not disgracing you in my writing, but rather doing something that someday you will be proud of. I can't do it all at once. I feel that eventually my life will not be a disgrace to you either. It also takes a long time to unfold. You would be so much happier, and I would too, if you could have confidence in me. When people ask about me, say that Ernie never tells us anything about his private life or even where he is, but only writes that he is working hard. Don't feel responsible for what I write or what I do. I take the responsibility. I make the mistakes and I take the punishments. You could, if you wanted, be even proud of me sometimes. Not for what I do, for I have not had much success in doing good, but for my work. My work is much more important to me than anything in the world except the happiness of three people. And you cannot know how it makes me feel for mother to be ashamed of what I know as sure as you know that there is a God in heaven is not to be ashamed of. So that's it. Um, here we see that Ernest is pleading with his parents to be proud of him. He definitely wants his parents' love and uh, he wants their support for what he's doing in spite of the fact that he's now married to a second woman and not happily. Now I'm going to read briefly from the prologue of my forthcoming book. And of course, by no means am I putting Hemingway's work in or comparing mine with his I'm just trying to show that I am a huge Hemingway fan and aficionado 
um, the good and the bad. And my book uh, will provide new perspectives about Hemingway. And as you listen to these podcasts, I hope you'll see that um, my goal is not to uh, put Hemingway on a pedestal. It's not to tear him down. And it's not to put me on any kind of pedestal or to tear myself down. I just want you to know that Hemingway was one of the inspirations for me to write my own book, uh, Hemingway, New Perspectives, New Inspirations. So here we go with the prologue. By all accounts, Hemingway was noticeably different after the plane crashes. His writing curtailed, or at the very least, his disciplined writing curtailed. When he wrote, he often did so with a drink in his hand. He repeated himself frequently. Close friends became distant friends or no longer friends at all. And his personality became more erratic, delusional, and finally psychotic. In the six months before his suicide, he had made three unsuccessful attempts to end his life. On the topic of pain and its effect on him as a writer, Ernest Hemingway was enigmatic. One of his earliest biographers, Philip Young, suggested that his traumatic war wounds had a great influence on him as a writer. Hemingway downplayed Young's so-called wound theory. Referring to Hemingway's book, Hemingway, rather, referring to Young's book, Hemingway said in a 1954 interview, quote, if you haven't read it, don't bother. How would you like it if someone said that everything you've done in your life was done because of some trauma? Young had a theory that was like, you know, the Procrustean bed, and he had, he had to cut me to fit into it, unquote. When questioned about his wounds in another interview with George Plimpton in 1954, Hemingway said that, quote, the effects of wounds vary greatly. Simple wounds which do not break bone are of little account. They sometimes give confidence. Wounds, that, wounds which do extensive bone and nerve damage are not good for writers, nor anybody else, end quote. Hemingway once offered F. Scott Fitzgerald some advice. How the hell can you bleed over your own personal tragedies when you're a writer? Hemingway wrote to Fitzgerald. You should welcome them because serious writers have to be hurt really terrible before they can write seriously. But once you get the hurt and can handle it, consider yourself lucky. That is, that is what there is to write about and you have to be as faithful to it as a scientist is faithful to his laboratory. You can't cheat or pretend you have to excise the hurt honestly." End quote. My plane crash left me with extensive bone and nerve damage. And that's certainly not good for writers, as Hemingway said. But if I recovered from this painful incident, which occurred in the summer of 2016, I was determined to learn more about Hemingway. I considered myself lucky and I felt the urge to become a writer and know I couldn't bleed over my own tragedy. I now knew pain, real pain. It bedeviled me as it bedeviled Hemingway. Little did I know the extent of Hemingway's demons, nor did I know what really drove him to become a great writer. In this, Hemingway was right 
And Philip Young was wrong. It wasn't his wounds from World War I that drove him to his greatness. In my book, I surmise that it was four other factors. His hypomanic personality, his fear of the true story at Fasalta, Italy coming out, his rivalry with Lieutenant Edward M. McKee and other writers, and last, his remorse, his remorse for the way he treated Hadley, and even his remorse for treating Pauline and his other two wives. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and I'll be happy to, uh, to broadcast another one in a few days. So, au revoir, and a bientôt from Andai, France.